And this morning what I'd like to do is actually share a message I've given in the past in regards to prayer, just as a way of encouraging us in the uh, topic of prayer. Um, Certainly we understand that we are supposed to pray. And uh, I think that sometimes we maybe understand it and kind of forget about it or we we uh, just get busy or maybe a little even confused about it. Prayer is, um, is uh, something that is, um, you know, it's just very simple. Do you, you know prayer is simply just talking with God, right? It's all it is. Uh, but I'm an introvert. Well, it doesn't matter, you know. God loves introverts and extroverts. You know, God can talk with anyone who will talk with him. <laughs> and uh, so this morning what I want to do is I'm going to read an illustration and, and share a little bit from the scriptures and give some kind of just reminders about prayer as a way of encouraging us this morning. Uh, quick story uh, that I think is challenging as well as encouraging. Uh, Dr. Helene Rosevier, missionary to Zaire, told the following story. A mother at our mission station died after giving birth to a premature baby. We tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair. So we asked the children to pray for the baby and for her sister. One of the girls responded, Dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late, because by then the baby will be dead. And dear Lord, send a doll for the sister so she won't feel so lonely. That afternoon, a large package arrived from England. The children watched eagerly as we opened it. Much to their surprise, under some clothing, was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl who had prayed so earnestly started to dig deeper, exclaiming, If God sent that, I'm sure he's also sent a doll, and she was right. The Heavenly Father knew in advance of that child's sincere requests, and five months earlier, he had led a ladies' group to include both of those specific articles. That's just one example, honestly. If if you were to take time and actually read the memoirs of of people who have done work around the world for the Lord, you'd see all kinds of amazing, amazing results from prayer. God works through prayer. Different kinds of prayer. But prayer is talking with God. Prayer is relationship with God. Prayer is just simple yet complicated. Some of us are really good at relationship. Some of us are just highly relational. Some of us are not so relational. But again, with God, God knows who we are. He knows who we are. And he desires to relate with us, and we do that through prayer. But this morning, I want to talk about what is called deliberate, uh, deliberate prayer or deliberating prayer. And uh, if you look on the back again of the announcement sheet, you'll see this all there. That uh, deliberate, to deliberate, is something that is done consciously, something that is intentional. To be deliberate is to be intentional. Prayer is to be done deliberately, intentionally. Um, you know, many of you have uh, grown up in an environment, maybe somewhere you've heard about it, where some people pray before they eat. You know, it's very interesting. In Jewish tradition, we bless God and then we thank God for the food. And so the idea is to bless God and then we thank Him for the food, probably because we're not sure whether or not we're going to like it. Uh, in Christian tradition, they uh, bless the food, you know, uh, and, uh, and thank God for it at the beginning. But uh, maybe you've heard the little ditty, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, amen, okay? And so the idea is, 
is we're doing something here. I don't know if that qualifies as a, is really a valuable prayer, but I suppose it's all in the heart and mind of the person. Eric and Rachel got a prayer in Hebrew from uh, Shachar in Israel that they uh, sing with Gershon before he eats. All right? It's their effort to intentionally do a little prayer before he eats, kind of to get him acclimated to the understanding of prayer. Deliberate prayer is really what it's all about, isn't it? Intentional, thoughtful prayer. In fact, uh, I'm going to give you some synonyms for deliberate, intentional, calculated, conscience, conscious, intended, planned, studied, willful, purposeful, premeditated, preplanned. Sometimes we think that our prayers always got to be extemporaneous. It's like you're walking through a field and you fall into a deep hole. Oh, God, help me! That's a prayer that you need when you're walking across the field and you fall into a deep hole, okay? The best prayer is a prayer where you have planned for it. You are looking forward to it. That's like when you have a habit in your life on a daily basis to spend time with God whether it's in the morning or at night, where you have pre-planned to spend time in relationship with God. There's a book, again, uh, within the Jewish community, some of this exists, but some of the best literature is found in the Christian community. is uh, uh, an old book, I think it's My Heart, Christ's Home is the name of it. And it's about the story of a guy and his relationship with God and the idea of pre-planning a, a time with God. And uh, part of the discussion is, or part of the point is that he makes an appointment with God. And he's spending time with God, and he's spending time with God, and then his life gets busy. And he's spending less time with God and less time with God, and eventually he's skipping those meetings with God. And one day, and it's all about taking in the context of a home environment, they're meeting in the parlor or in the living room, I can't remember what it is. And in the busyness of his life, he's rushing from his bedroom to run out the door to go do the important things of life. And as he's going by that living room or that, pet, or that area, he noticed God is in there waiting for him. You ever think that God just really wants to spend some time with you? God wants to spend some time with you. And he's happy to plan it in advance. That's what's amazing. He is happy to spend time with anyone and everyone in the whole world, but specifically you. Deliberate prayer. It's prayer that's, that's intentional. It's even pre-planned. This morning, I want us to think about this topic and for you to consider in your life, how is your prayer life? How is your relationship with God, that pre-flowing relationship with God, how's it going? You have a little bit of a, a statement again in the outline on deliberating prayer because this is something unique and specific uh, that I want to kind of get to as well this morning. Deliberate prayer is one thing. Deliberating prayer is a little, goes a little beyond that, all right? So deliberating, setting aside specific time each day for intentional, unhurried, and well-thought-out prayer is a sign of a maturing messianic faith. If we really believe the Scripture's teaching to take our concerns to God, then we must make prayer a clear priority in our schedule, both personal prayer as well as communal prayer with others. But when you add the gerund aspect to deliberate and you make it deliberating, 
what you add is a level of intensity to prayer. An intensity that sometimes I think in our hurried reality we really don't appreciate. And for that, I want us to turn to the life of Elijah. Because Elijah is a character that I think knew all about deliberating prayer. We're going to begin in the New Testament, believe it or not. James chapter 5. Turn with me to James chapter 5. Very last chapter, James chapter 5, verse 17. For your edification, I have also reprinted this document, which is out on the information table. Really a, a, an encouraging, but also challenging document. Just from the life of William Wilberforce and uh, E.M. Bounds wrote it. But about prayer, this whole topic of what I'm calling deliberating prayer. But uh, here we see in James chapter 5, Yaakov, of course, uh, of course, is writing this, the brother of Yeshua. And he's using one of the most important prophetic characters in the Hebrew Scriptures to make a point. In verse 17 it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. He prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So a couple of points I want to make. You may say, well, I'm no Elijah. <laughs> Well, if Elijah were here, he'd say, you know, I'm a lot like you. <laughs> you know, normal guy, says it in the text. He's a normal fellow, a nature like ours. But what did he do that made him abnormal? He prayed earnestly, earnestly. He deliberatingly prayed, labored in prayer, probably sweated and anguished in prayer. And we're going to look in a minute at the passage in, in uh, 1 Kings. And the result is amazing, though. He was praying in regards to an issue going on in the country, and God answered his prayer. What's fascinating is, is that the first portion talks about the anguish in prayer that brings this result, and then simply that he prayed again, and the situation changed. Prayer. Prayer. What's the key to prayer? Let's first, before we get to that, flip over to the Hebrew Scriptures. Let's take a look at this passage Take a look at 1 Kings. We're in 1 Kings 17. Let's really take a look at this Hebrew Scriptures portion about this amazing man. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. This is page 341 in the Congregational Tanakh. Page 341 in the Congregational Tanakh. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite... One of the settlers of Galid said to Ahab, As Adonai, God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew or rain these years except at my word. Now, who is this guy? <laughs> Ever thought about this? Ever thought of what his pedigree was? He had no pedigree. He is Elijah the Tishbite. He comes from nowhere. He doesn't have any ancestors that we know about that are of importance. He's a settler in the land of Galid. Where's Galid? He's on the other side of, of the Canaret and the Jordan. He's on the eastern side of the Jordan. He's in an area that's technically outside Canaan. And to be a settler means he's kind of unsettled. That's the idea. Settlers are unsettled. But we know this from, of course, 
the book of James, and we know this if you've read, read through the book of Elijah, Elijah was a man who had a relationship with God. Elijah was a man who had a relationship with God. He prayed. He prayed. And not just formal prayer or empty or, or formal prayer or, or free prayer. What really is, is he had a relationship with God. And he saw the sin going on around him and he cried out to God. And along the way, God burdened him to do something which normally would get you killed. He went up to the king, to Ahab, this incredibly wicked man, and he basically said, it's not going to rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. That's amazing. Imagine if you could bottle that, right? You know, if you're in a relationship with God, if you really are, are talking with him and really seeking him out and crying out to him, it's amazing what God will do through you to influence the world. God wants to influence our world. And generally, he doesn't do it through the miraculous and the big signs and comets falling to the earth and things like that. He does it through people, ordinary people, like Elijah. Like Elijah, ordinary people who simply desire to have an incredible relationship with the God of the universe. And, uh, of course, we're not going to go through the whole thing, but it's amazing what goes on in his life and his relationship with God. And, but eventually he gets to the Mount uh, Carmel, and there they have that pyro. There's the pyrotechnics, okay? All right, take a look. Verse 41, chapter 18, chapter 18, verse 41. So after the fire fell, it's after that whole situation where God showed who is God, you know, with the, the sacrifice and all that. But then in verse 41, it says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there's the sound of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. All right? But Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, crouched on the ground, and put his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. Then he said, Go back. Seven times he told him to go back. And it was the seventh time that he said, Look. A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Then he said, Go up this say to Ahab, Harness your chariots and go down before the rain stops you. In a little while the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. Ahab mounted and then rode and headed to Jezreel. Now the hand of Adonai was on Elijah, so he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. A couple of points that's important here, because there's so much, it's a powerful package, this chapter, if you just think about the dynamic situation between the prophets of Baal and poor little Elijah and the result that occurs with God sending fire down from heaven to burn up the altar. But here at the end of the chapter is where the real amazing power is. Water comes. And as the text says here, it's a little bit of an expansion of what we see in the book of, of James or Yaakov. Elijah prays. He doesn't just go put his head on his knees and goes to sleep. He is sitting and praying earnestly and crying out to God and saying, God, send rain now. Show your power. He showed his power on the mountain to the people that were there by causing fire to come down from heaven. Now he's praying, God, send your power upon the whole nation. Let your rain come to demonstrate 
that you are indeed God. But God didn't send it immediately. God allowed Elijah to have to wrestle, in essence, in prayer. Going back seven times. How, many, how much time do you think it took for this, uh, this servant to go from Elijah up to the sea to watch? This whole thing could have taken a couple of hours of back and forth. Seven times. Eight. Elijah was persistent and patient because he had a relationship with God because he prayed. And yet, God didn't give him an instantaneous answer, even in this situation. But he allowed him to labor on. God expects us to to deliberate in prayer because it's relationship. It's relationship. Relationship is always, it always requires effort, energy, investment. So it is with God. A relationship with God requires investment of time and energy and emotion. And if we're willing to be quiet before the Lord in prayer, allowing the Spirit of God to speak to us. I want to go over a couple of points that are on your sheet and encourage you to fill out some blanks. I want to just kind of give you some things to consider in regards to prayer, especially deliberating prayer, even as we see in the life of Elijah. First point, it is relational. It is relational. I cannot stress that enough. If you have a formal relationship with God, meaning you pray before you eat, and you pray when you're in the sanctuary, but you don't really spend much time really talking with Him during the reality of your life, that is formal prayer, but that is not relational prayer. God wants to talk to you all the time. All the time. Relationship. Relaxed and unhurried in the presence of God relaxed and unhurried in the presence of God, making the time to talk. The blank there is making, making the time to talk. And you know, again, it's fascinating. It's the, the, some of my greatest times with God are times when I'm doing something that doesn't necessarily require me to be sitting at home uh, all by myself, whether I'm driving in the car on long distances Believe it or not, I, uh, you know, I, some of you know I have a religious observance. I watch CNBC as I exercise in the morning. And I put on the mute button and I pray. You may say, well, isn't there a lot of just, you know, confusion and, and things to, you know, uh, yeah, but I can shut it all out. People just assume I'm straining at the exercise, but I'm praying. But you see, it's an opportunity. Instead of wasting my time, watching a stupid set of commercials, I'm praying. But I'm making the time to talk. That's the point. Making the time to talk. There's a lot of verses that we could read here, but, but really, uh, I think the, the one that I just want to reference in Exodus 33, Exodus 33, verses 1 through 11, we see this example of Moses speaking with God as a man speaks with his friend. Moses speaking with God as a man speaks with his friend. Do you have that kind of relationship with God? I've said before, you know, the, the phrase in Hebrew, yirat, yirat the fear of God. God is not your buddy. If we ever cross a line like that, I don't think that's healthy. But to realize God's love and that he wants us to relate to him like what we see with Abraham and like what we see with Moses. 
like what we see in some of the other of these individuals, where there is genuine friendship, relationship. But you have to be willing to make the time to talk. You have to desire to pursue relationship with God. The second point, it is intercessional. It is intercessional. It requires humility and selflessness. Humility and selflessness. Being willing to ask. I've met a number of people that just don't feel like they can ask anything of God. That's sad. God, if God wants to hear from you, everything. We'll see in a minute, and at the bottom of the sheet, actually, I'll just point it out, there's what are, you know, these, uh, what is called affectionately acts, you know, practical plan for deliberating prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Right? Some people, they're always on the supplication side. Some people are always on the confessional side. God likes to hear from us in all kinds of ways. All right? But never, ever think that God doesn't want to hear your requests. By Jewish tradition, we do not make requests before God on Shabbat. But if you have something really burdening your heart, please feel free to talk to God about it. All right? God cares about us. And we need to feel like we can have that open relationship with him regarding everything, including things that are really burdening us, whether for us or for others around us. Being willing to ask. Being willing to go to God. Crying out in regards to your personal needs, especially deep, heartfelt needs. If you find that you're constantly asking God for dumb stuff like, you know, fancy cars and big vacations or something, you know, you might be surprised to find that God really is not that interested in that. You cry out to God because you have a medical condition or because you have a, stri- a stress in your life. Of course God cares. He wants to hear you cry out to him and seek him. And he will indeed hear your prayer and answer it according to your will, but are you willing to ask? The third, which I think is really a critical one, it is tenacious. Deliberating prayer is tenacious. requires persistence and faith. Is there anything in your life that you think is just too big? Just no way God can solve this. Can't think like that. God is able to handle any circumstance. Any circumstance. He's able to handle the strains and the pains of our life. You know, a couple of individuals uh, that, uh, you know, I can just mention briefly, of course, we've talked about Elijah, talking about changing the heart of a king and a corrupt people. Only 7,000 people really bowed their knees, uh, had not bowed their knees to Baal, out of what, a million or two? You know, in our land, do we really believe that God can change hearts? Think of the most intransigent unbeliever in your life. Can God really reach in and change that person and save them? Of course he can. Think of the people in the room. God is able to do whatever it is. But are you willing to pray tenaciously for God to save? I think one of the things I mentioned, I've been praying for my cousin for years to become a believer. And last time I saw him, he actually said, yeah, you know, I guess I I do believe. (laughs) Great. Well, it took him 30 years. Are we tenacious in prayer? Elijah was tenacious. Think about Daniel. Daniel, what a prayer individual. Tenaciously praying for his people, for their revival, for their renewal. Nehemiah is another character. If you want to know people that prayed in difficult times, Paul and Silas there in in, uh, prison in Philippi, praising God and praying through the pain of having just been beaten illegally. (laughs) 
but they prayed. You know, there's a passage, and again, I'll just mention it briefly. Well, I'm going to read it. Luke 18. This is one I go to when I need a little bit of encouragement. Luke 18. Take a look at this text. Page 995, 995, Luke 18, verses uh, 1 through 8. says, Then Yeshua told them a parable to show that they should always pray and not be discouraged. He said, There was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor respected people. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my opponent. He was unwilling at the time, but afterward he said to himself, Although I don't fear God or respect people... Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she won't wear me out by her incessant coming. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge is saying. Won't God do justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he be slow to help them? I tell you, he will quickly give them justice. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? God will give us good gifts. God loves us. He cares for us. It's interesting Yeshua ends that, though, by saying, will he find faith on the earth? What's that faith in reference to? Faith to believe that God actually will answer prayers. Faith to pray tenaciously and passionately and deliberately because we really believe that prayer works. You know, the, uh, the blank on this one, I think, is the hardest one. It's choosing, which is will, <laughs> Choosing to pray through. Praying through. Praying through to what? Praying through to the answer. Not giving up. Not doubting God's capacity to answer the prayer. Again, if God has got you in a situation and you're burdened in some way, pray until you get an answer. God's going to answer you one of three ways, generally, okay? Really, one of three ways. Yes, no, or wait, which is also maybe. Many years ago, many years ago, I wanted to go to New York. That's what I wanted to do. Carl and I served there for a year, came back to Chicago, and then for several years I prayed. I wanted to go to New York. And I didn't get an answer, which is, I guess, was the maybe, But eventually it was a big fat no. (laughs) All right? Not what I wanted. I wanted to go to New York. I wouldn't stay in Chicago. All right? Are we willing to pray through? Some of you don't know what the future is. You really don't. How tenaciously are you praying? How tenaciously are you praying? Are you praying? Some of you want to get married, and you don't know who. (laughs) Are you praying about it tenaciously? I mean, faith is at the the core of this. You realize that, right? If you really don't believe that God answers prayer, then why would you bother to pray? If you believe that God answers prayer, then you will pray just as we've talked about. You will pray because you know you will talk to God because you know you will cry out to Him because you know that he is God, and he absolutely will direct our paths. He absolutely will answer our prayers and deal with our issues and help us through the troubles and trials and tribulations of life. 
He will lead us in the path he wants us to go to the right place. But it demands faith. Do we have that kind of faith? Will the Son of Man find, when he returns, faith on the earth? Now, there are a couple of models or patterns of deliberating prayer. Again, it's on your sheet. I just want to mention these. Individual personal prayer. My encouragement here, and there's certainly a lot of texts that I could mention, but, you know, the texts uh, talk about in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the idea of praying without ceasing, okay? Keep praying. Now, I don't know about you, but it's, like, really hard to pray at night when I fall asleep or, you know, certain times of the day. It's really, What's the point? Maintaining an attitude of prayer. You personally, I encourage you, seek to maintain an attitude of prayer. What blocks the attitude of prayer? Sin. Sin. Confess your sin. Stay away from sin. We talked about it last week with Joseph. Run away from your sin. But seek to maintain an attitude of prayer. But also, besides just going through your day and when you maintain an attitude of prayer through your day, sometimes it's a little hit or miss or whatever opportunities, turn off and mute the TV or whatever. But besides that, I encourage you to maintain pre-planned times of prayer and scripture reading, letting the Spirit of God speak to you through the scriptures. Pre-planned, making sure in your schedule that you have time set aside. You know, again, if you, if you take the time and you read this document... You'll, you'll read that, that Wilberforce, who was a politician, a very busy man, you know, he managed to, to, to spend at least 30 minutes in prayer, and he was hoping to do an hour and a half. You know, the, the biggest problem we face today as people is we waste so much of our time with things that don't matter at all, like binge-watching stuff on Netflix. Ever think about how stupid that really is in the great scheme of things? I'm just, I'm just saying, you know. I mean, if you, it's a new year, right? I'm not talking about goals, but if you were to go out and analyze your time usage, analyze it. How would, what you're doing in your common day-to-day activities, how does that really have value 20 years from now? How is it really important in terms of the scheme of your life? There's a lot of things because of technology and because, frankly, of the leisure we have in our culture. Remember, 100 years ago, people worked 12 hours a day, okay, or 10 hours a day, depending on where they were at, right? They didn't work a nine-to-five job in air conditioning and central heat and drive to work or take, I mean, things were a lot harder back then. But we had fewer distractions back then. I think it was much easier for people that were believers actually spend time in a pre-planned way with God than today. Hard to imagine. But personal prayer, individual prayer, we need to to have pre-planned times of prayer and then we need to maintain an attitude of prayer throughout our day. Communal group prayer. Every, Every month we provide an opportunity for prayer at the synagogue communally. You know, I encourage you to take advantage of that, to come and pray, and to pray in a participatory manner. You know, it's interesting, when I was a new believer, it was all new to me, but the idea of you come together and you pray, and people take turns praying, you know, whole new concept. (laughs) But there's power in communal prayer. 
There's such an emphasis on communal prayer in the scriptures, especially for leaders. We need to appreciate that. You need to think of how you can participate in it, how you can be active in it. You know, parents with your kids, communal prayer at home means family prayer. <laughs> think about how you can facilitate that, even if the kids are small, because it trains them. It helps them again in understanding. There's definitely value. There's definitely power in communal prayer. And what's fascinating, too, we have to remember it's commanded of us that we're supposed to gather and pray. The whole idea that Mikra Kodesh, the Holy Assembly, has at its core an understanding we come together to relate as a unit. Isn't that interesting? To relate as a unit with God. You know, in our services, we have both formal prayer which is the liturgy, as well as free prayer. And I would say formal prayer is not just the liturgy, but also the, the, the worship, the musical worship. All of that is actually prayer, formal prayer. But you know, at any time in the service, you can just pray freely. You know, you can just pray freely. That's why during the Amida we all stand, but you don't have to recite the liturgy if you don't want to. You can just talk to God. Just talk to him. Well, I encourage you to, to take, uh, take this home and to look at it, and especially to ask yourself, what is my prayer like? Am I really deliberating in prayer? Is my prayer deliberate? Is it intentional? And then when I pray, am I really praying in such a way that I'm having a, a serious interaction with God? Sometimes that means a good argument with God about things going on that you think need to change. And I can always look to Abraham as an example for that. And there are others. Moses is another one. It's okay to argue with God respectfully <laughs> because a good argument means that there is relationship. Okay? Think about that. Also, I would encourage you to think about whether or not your prayers are mostly, if not only, confession and supplication. Oh God, I screwed up again. Please forgive me. Oh God, I have a need. And God's up there going, okay, fine. I know you're a sinner and I know you have needs, but what do you think of me? <laughs> what do you think of me? <laughs> you know, we forget about adoration. Oh, God, you are the great and awesome king of the universe. That's why all Jewish prayers, by the way, start with Baruch Adonai. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, king of the universe. Why? Because too often we're focused on us and our needs, and we need to remember we're talking to the great king of the universe. God likes to hear us mention that from time to time because it only states reality. And then also to remember all that God has done to thank him. So many things that God does for us, much of it we don't really fully understand or appreciate. The fact that we get in these metal tubes and we fly across the country and we don't die. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Thank you, God, that I survived. The Jewish tradition where we thank God when we travel. Right? Why? Because traveling is dangerous. Right? We're just so used to it. We really need to thank God every day for the blessings he provides. Well, I encourage you to strengthen your relationship with God by learning to pray in a more deep manner. Think relationship. Think of prayer as that amazing opportunity to just talk with God throughout your day, whether in a pre-planned manner or just in an extemporaneous or in a free manner, frequently through the day, in whatever way. Take advantage of uh, what I'm talking about to really give this some consideration. 
There's a couple of questions that are at the bottom. I'd encourage you to look at those yourself and to consider how you can apply them or be challenged by them. I would encourage you, if you, if you really do not uh, regularly come for prayer on Monday nights once a month, to please come. It is literally an hour of prayer to come and pray about needs and to participate in the prayer. And if Monday nights is not enough, to think of how you can pray with others during your week, whether formally or informally, whether just calling people on the phone and saying, let's pray, or, or intentionally meeting up with people at different times specifically to pray. But I encourage us as a community to practice prayer. I want to end by reading one little part of this document. It says this, To pray is the greatest thing we can do. And to do it well, there must be calmness, time, and deliberation. Otherwise, it is degraded into the littlest and meanest of things. True praying has the largest results for good, and poor praying the least. We cannot do too much of real praying. We cannot do too little of the sham. We must learn anew the worth of prayer, enter anew the school of prayer. There is nothing which it takes more time to learn, and if we would learn the wondrous art, we must not give a fragment here and there. But we must demand and hold with iron grasp the best hours of the day for God in prayer, or there will be no praying worth the name. This, however, is not a day of prayer. Few men there are who pray. Prayer is defamed by preacher and priest. In these days of hurry and bustle, of electricity and steam, men will not take time to pray. Preachers there are who say prayers as a part of their program on regular or state occasions, but who stirs himself up to take a hold upon God, who prays as Jacob prayed till he is crowned as a prevailing princely intercessor, who prays as Elijah prayed till all the locked-up forces of nature were unsealed and a famine-stricken land bloomed as the garden of God, who prayed as Jesus the Messiah prayed as out upon the mountain he continued all night in prayer to God. The apostles gave themselves to prayer, the most difficult thing to get men or even the preachers to do. Laymen there are who will give their money, some of them in rich abundance, but they will not give themselves to prayer, without which their money is but a curse. There are plenty of preachers who will preach and deliver great and eloquent addresses on the need of revival and the spread of the kingdom of God, but not many there are who will do that without which all preaching and organization are worse than vain prayer. It is out of date, almost a lost art, and the greatest benefactor this age could have is that the man who will preach will pray. Prayer. We need revival, both in ourselves, our community, our nation. So let's pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the examples you provide in your scriptures, these individuals, these great men of prayer, these people who related to you, who talked with you, who, who just wanted to be in relationship with you. God, help us to desire that same close relationship. Help us to, to work hard on it. Help us, God, to, to wrestle in prayer for the needs that are around us, our family, our friends, those who we know, God, for our nation, which so desperately needs revival, and to turn to you and renounce its sin. Help us, God, to be a community. Help us, God, to be individuals who pray. And we thank you for our Messiah, Yeshua, who showed us the example and who has commanded us to pray and given us ideas on how to pray. Help us, God, to be people of prayer. Pray all this in Yeshua's name.